but we also have some very special ingredients for the European market. And the one thing is that we have our own operations and full-time drivers. So what we try to achieve is build a sustainable business model, not only from economical point of view, but also from the social environment that we operate in. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Rewrite Tech, the Deconium Developer Podcast. My name is Geraldine DeBastian. And I am Brad Richards. And in today's episode, we have two guests with us today who are also part of the Volkswagen family, the CPO and CTO of Volkswagen's fleet mobility solution, Moya, Sasha Maya, and Ralph Sigmund. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having us. Yes. Thanks for having us. Glad to have you both here. So the first thing I want to talk about is something from, from me personally that I noticed back in my time when I was working at Daimler, there was this whole thing about how you announce new companies and how you do these kind of things. And then Moya approached the announcements of you guys coming on the scene at TechCrunch, which was very different with regards to how other major OEMs are handling this, people in the automotive space. So... Can you give us a little bit behind the curtain? It's three years later. Tell us what was the strategy, if you if you know what the strategy was behind this big, huge launch of Moya at TechCrunch, which was fantastic. Yeah, so from my side, I was at that time I was really impressed that we did this. And I think it was a bold statement towards what we actually are. So Moya is clearly a digital tech company, and so we are in the automotive mobility business. But we do not see us as an automobile company, but clearly as a deep tech startup. Mm. So we are applying a lot of technologies to provide an easy to use and a nice product. But behind the scenes, there's a lot of technology going on. Yeah, it was very cool. Were any of you guys there? During the big launch, during the the tech crunch? No, we weren't, actually. Uh, So uh, Ralph and myself joined late 2017, and the product was introduced 2016. Mm -hmm. At that point in time, it was a bold announcement, and I think there has been a clear idea of what Moyer is supposed to do, but there has not been any idea about tech and about the specific vehicles and all the details of the business model that came over time, and we developed that over time. And so it has been the first initial statement, the ding into the world, Mm. uh, that Volkswagen is doing something differently. And from there, the whole gig got started. Yeah, it's, it's, everybody took notice. So when I was working at Daimler, to be frank, we were shocked and nervous and didn't like it because we were very (laughs) jealous that you guys had this huge Moya thing. We're like, oh, they got a better name than us. We were something else at the time, so uh, people took notice. So I just want to let you uh, you guys know about that. So to get into it, Sasha, you're the CPO. Ralph, you're the CTO uh, of Moya. So maybe you could explain your product and and um, and what it does and what the overview is, and then maybe from there, I'm always fascinated with regards to the journey of Moya. Why it was the correct starting point for Moya to begin with shared mobility, this fleet kind of shared mobility hybrid interesting area. So I'd love to hear what Moya is up to, what your product does, and why was this a good starting point for you guys? Yeah. So plain simple, what we do is we we offer rides in a very comfortable way through cities. That's what we do by heart. And 
we have a special twist on that catered to the European market. We do ride pooling, as it's called in the industry. So we combine the request of different riders into one vehicle. And there's a lot of magic behind the scenes about algorithms and how we get that done with all the routing. So there's a lot of technology involved in doing that but we also have some very special ingredients for the European market and the one thing is that we have our own operations and full-time drivers so what we try to achieve is build a sustainable business model not only from economical point of view but also from the social environment that we operate in so that's why our drivers are working under full social insurance they have health insurance and all the benefit that you expect from a European company And we didn't want to occupy um, infrastructure in the cities, so we decided to go the hard way, and we are asset heavy. Mm -hmm. So we have hubs in uh, Hamburg and in Hanover that we operate in. We have our own charging infrastructure for our battery electric vehicles. So there's a lot going on behind the scenes that uh, differentiates Moya's product from the, the competition that we see. We even went all in because... Together with Volkswagen Group, we designed a special purpose vehicle. And this vehicle is, is catered towards the needs of riders in such a shared environment. So oh. it is very comfortable. It's quiet. We have a, a seating that allows everyone to enter independently without doing yoga, stretching themselves over others that are already in the vehicle. We have a dedicated uh -huh. luggage space so you can always see where your luggage is. You don't have to worry if someone goes to the trunk and, and pulls out their stuff, whether they accidentally also take your stuff along with them. So there's a lot of that built into, into the vehicle and, and also safety. So we have a security camera. We, we have a lot of safety concepts that are automotive standard, but quite new to the mobility industry. And so we tried to, to build a product that is worse and, and able to pull out peoples of their big vehicles in the city because that's what we want to achieve. We want to get people out of their privately owned car get them hop on to our service and, and use intermodal connections like trains and, and buses and all that so we can reduce traffic and pollution in the cities. So you were mentioning some of your USPs earlier and that got me thinking about some of the competitors that are no longer here because maybe they weren't as resilient or didn't have such a sort of, yeah, strong setup to make it through this crisis. Like, for instance, Clever Shuttle, who were also paying their drivers fairly and also operating on electric vehicles. So I'm wondering how you're seeing this consolidation. Is it good to get rid of a bit of the competition, seeing that you might have a stronger backing in your corporate setup? Yeah, it's, it's not a good thing. And the most important factor is that it sends the wrong signal into the market that ride pooling is, is something that goes away once there's the first sign of a crisis and that it's a one-day gig that will go away. So what we want to, to offer is a reliable service. And we are very pleased with the situation that we have such a strong shareholder believing in our vision that he is willing to accept that we are currently having a short dip in ridership. Traffic in cities currently is quite low. We, we see that people are not moving as they have been moving before. And, and that's due to the outer circumstances that we have. But we also expect that there will be a huge rebound 
over time. So for sure, people will want to get back to party mode and enjoy life. And we will see cities flourishing again once the corona crisis is managed. And for that point in time, we really hope that a lot of competition is in the market because we believe that competition creates the ecosystem that will help each and every mobility solution to, to become better as a whole. Absolutely. I, I personally do look forward to going outside to play again, and perhaps <laughs> even to party one day. Um, I'm also looking forward to staying in my home office, but maybe that's another, yeah. another topic. Um, this consolidation I was speaking about, we're also seeing that in terms of the big reach that the market leaders have over the ride-sharing or ride-hailing market. So I was following the news about Uber trying to acquire FreeNow. And I'm wondering how you think about this, maybe also from a more technical point of view, Ralph. Do you think that this is the way the market goes and something that we need to accept uh, in, in this global platform economy that we're operating in? Or should Germany be protecting its services, maybe also its data from such kind of takeovers? So I think it's it's clear that there's a different mindset in exploring new markets in the US compared to Europe. And that's really something where we have to catch up. And I'm quite happy to be part of Volkswagen and seeing the shift to e-mobility, seeing um, yeah, the direct approach to autonomous driving. I'm pretty sure that we carry kind of quite some momentum in order to, to be a player in that market. Yeah, it's it's really it's, it's really interesting topic because Volkswagen has an interesting approach with regards to mobility as a whole. It's it's consolidated in the most sense, whereas you you look at the competitors in the market, it's it's fragmented. So there's different products and services for these kind of things. So it's it's interesting how Volkswagen's approaching it. And I, and, and speaking of that approach, how other OEMs did innovation with regards to broad innovation in the sense of like we're going to because you guys came around the hip time in Germany to be building innovation hubs, accelerators, all that stuff. But when Moya came out, it was hyper-focused. So what was the reason why Moya chose to go into a specific area and execute instead of tackling it from a broad, innovative standpoint, let's say? Yeah, to me, we, we separate like three different stages of generating, exploring new business models. And the first stage is actually generating new ideas. And that's where innovation labs or idea labs are particularly great. And they generate ideas, they validate it, and then they bring that idea to the next stage, which is incubating. And Moyas jumped directly into the stage of incubating. Because mm. the idea of ride pooling was not inherently new. It has already been proven in the market, at least in the US for that point in time, some smaller experiments in the EU as well. And we only added a little bit of specific spice here and there to cater it to our need and leverage the assets and, and capabilities that we have from Volkswagen Group. But the mm -hmm. challenge really remains to incubate something that is ready to scale. And... So the question is, how do you create such an organization? And you have to do look at two different factors. And the one is, what is the operational relatedness that you have to a core business of a company? And what is the strategic importance for the corporation? 
So give you some straight ideas of where the squadrons are. If you're very important for strategy and strongly related to operations, then you directly integrate something into the core business. And you had the car software org in your podcast and yeah. you directly know what we are talking about. If innovation is not important for strategy and not at all related to operations, then you just go for complete spin-off. So it's a venture strategy. Mm -hmm. And Moya sits somewhere in the middle when it was founded because the strategic importance is, is quite uncertain from a Volkswagen group. Will mobility really change? in the city will behavior change that's unknown and also the operational relatedness is, is quite uncertain is an spv a special purpose vehicle is it important will autonomous vehicles play a role so that's something that time will tell and so the decision was to create a new venture division for moya so that's what we are we are our own company we take our own decisions we have our own board of leaders and we are not bound to the corporate laws and we, we need to understand the dynamics that are in the business. And then it's up to decide which way Moya will go. Will it be a complete corporate spin-off or will it be integrated right. later on? That's, that's something that we will see. And that has a very important impact because we have a level playing field within the market. Otherwise, you start with a lot of backlog and, and package that you have to carry as a corporate enterprise. And we were able to start fresh and start new. And starting a tech crunch is only one thing, but having our yeah. own culture, hiring our own people, that's the important bits and pieces that we have. And, and so that helped us to, to get going pretty quickly. Yeah, it's huge. It's It should never be underestimated with regards to culture and value and those kind of things because there's a whole thing called the innovator's dilemma. The thing that made you great is the same reason why you're going to fail with these innovations. So it's a fascinating topic to talk about. And I want to go to you, Ralph, because Sasha mentioned something very interesting about how the idea wasn't new, but it's all about the execution of that. From a tactical standpoint, how does that limit you or open you up a bit? Because from my perspective, sometimes really wide, broad innovation brings up like, hey, let's throw blockchain into this. Whereas if you have a little bit of a frame and work within it, that's where people can kind of be a bit more fluid and a bit more creative with regards to it. So when you knew the industry you were working in, so this this area of shared mobility, how did you approach it from a technical standpoint to try to optimize it or innovate uh, in this already established uh, area? Yeah, so the first thing is, I think we all at Moya, we are very product focused, other tech people. So if we apply tech, we typically would not think, for example, of uh, blockchain or quantum <laughs> computing Good. or anything else. Um, but uh, as Sasha already explained, the product is quite broad. So it's not mm -hmm. only about delivering the service, it's also about managing the fleet, uh, managing the drivers. And so what we believe in that the most important thing is to learn from operations, to learn from interacting with our customers and improve this product. And mm -hmm. this is a quite steep thing. And also there's a lot of tech involved. So a lot of things directly get towards optimization. So we have to tackle uh, unit economics and mm. it's not that easy to do all this pooling and to be excellent in that way. For me, it's a it's an interesting topic because the way that these things are balanced, it's very interesting because and you guys at Moya actually do something a bit different you actually work specifically with the hardware, Sasha, as you mentioned before, because there's so many different products and services you guys are working within where people will just like micro analyze it saying, 
your pooling, whereas you have the hardware, you have some of the software. So can you tell me how, since you guys did take on the full value chain of pooling, how does, you know, how does the Moya van work in your company? How does hardware work? How does software work? And how does that kind of all work together with regards to your overall product strategy? Yeah, mm-hmm. let's let's start with the with the product point of view here, and then I think mm-hmm. uh, Ralph can dig into the the technical aspects behind the scenes. So first off, our main principle is that we think that customers don't differentiate between the physical or the digital part of an experience. So we want to think of it as holistic as it can get. To give you an example, if you have a smart speaker that sounds like crap, it can be super duper smart, but if the microphones and the sound are not okay, then the whole experience will be unpleasant. And that's exactly the same with our service. So we need to have an up-to-date digital product for customers to order to to order the vehicle with a very smooth booking experience. But this needs to continue when the customer is boarding, how he gets welcomed in the vehicle, also how he perceives the vehicle in terms of cleanliness and the digital experience inside. And that's why we use, as a small example, an in-vehicle screen to provide service updates to the customer, even though we know everyone boarding the vehicle has his own device where he could easily launch the Moya app and and see the the up-to-the-minute information. But we want customers to have the chance to use their own personal devices and still be integrated into that digital experience of Moya while they're in the vehicle. And so we we try to to really consider everything from the beginning to the end, no matter whether it's physical or digital, as a holistic experience. Mm -hmm. That's uh, definitely an interesting topic to think about, the whole you know, mobility as an experience and not just mobility as a service. How do you see the interplay between, if at all, if this is a topic for you, the direct communication that could possibly be happening on board one of your vehicles, seeing that you're pooled riding, and this personal entertainment system that you are introducing? Is that something that you think about? Um, we just look on what's going on in the world to that extent. So for, for us, personal entertainment is something very personal. So we try don't try to offer any kind of entertainment in the vehicle because if you look into trains or subways, whatever kind of public transport, then you see how people consume their personal entertainment. It's on their devices and it's specifically catered to their need and they handpick the application and experience that they dive into. And what we don't want to get involved is that we like enforce what we think customers want. We want to give them the freedom. We want to give them the information that is related to our service for sure. But we we don't want to offer them entertainment and, and some excitement in the vehicle when they're with us. We just want to offer a reliable mobility service. Yeah, sure. I mean, you're not an airplane that has a deal with this kind of movie maker and you're just going to be <laughs> showing them that kind of blockbuster. I was just wondering in this like post-COVID world that perhaps you're also envisaging in terms of really like, you know, then the rebound, everything you were talking about in carpooling, are we going to actually be wanting to talk to each other (laughs) or looking at little screens? And I guess it's hopefully going to be a combination of both. Another topic I just wanted to pick up on quickly, because you mentioned earlier your own charging infrastructure. And now bear with me, because this is going to be a non-techie question on a techie topic. (laughs) I was hoping that maybe from your perspective, you can give a little bit of an outlook on this topic, because there are many people out there right now looking at the option of switching to an electric vehicle, me being one of them, you know, like our government sponsoring that kind of car buying or subsidizing rather, sorry. So this has become a topic of interest. But the question about 
charging infrastructure is so huge and I think is really something that's putting, yeah, just uh, the sort of physical brakes on on this on this segment of mobility. So maybe can you give a little bit of a, do you think it's a good time to really invest or are we all going to be stuck with our little electric vehicles and no place to charge them next year? I must admit, I'm not an expert at all on that question. Ralph, do, do you have any? Hopefully <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get some car buying advice from you guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a very broad question, I guess. Yeah. So I can only tell you that we had a lot of learnings regarding car charging infrastructure. So I'm managing a fleet of 500 vehicles, which are wow. full-time operating, is quite different than, for example, using a privately owned car. So... We came up with quite substantial investments and also learned a lot about what is really necessary. And I think, yeah, so uh, this technology is definitely there. It is it's working much better than we expected. So also we are gaining a lot of learnings about long-term viability of battery operation at all. And that's all very positive. So I would just say this is a, a part of the future, which is directly starting right now. So it's it's really there for yeah, it's definitely something that, uh, especially Volkswagen's really going into. I mean, WeCharge is another one. The whole WeShare ecosystem is all electric, and, and you guys are also feeding into that as well. So it's it's really good to see. And Ralph, you were mentioning some of the technical aspects that went into building this kind of network of it. What other technical advancements kind of went into building this Moya ecosystem of it? And maybe what are some of the things maybe some of the problems you encountered during it, or maybe some of the things that you were proud of that your team, uh, you and yourself also kind of overcame during this massive scaling. Because like you said, you not only built the part of the hardware, you built the software, the ecosystem, as well as the charging. So I'm fascinated to kind of know some learnings and some behind the scenes stuff from a technical standpoint that you encountered. Yeah, first of all, it was like starting yeah with very few tech people. So as, like you start a startup uh, with only yeah. a handful of people. And so we had to decide how, how to proceed. So one big decision, I think, was as we are fully greenfield, so we didn't have any legacy stuff, we decided to be cloud native. So Muya up until now does not own any servers or do anything on premise. And also what we pretty fast learned that integrating off-the-shelf solutions is not a way to go if you want to have mm. such an integrated product. So we did this in the beginning in, in small scale, but then we realized this is not good. So what we deliberately did is build up a few tech stacks with excellent people from the field. So from more or less all, all over the world, bringing in some lighthouse experience of, of that technology. So one thing was Scala, but they're mm. quite different tech stacks, all geared to a different part of what we are doing. And if it comes, for example, to the connectivity to all this hardware, it's quite tricky behind the scenes because mm -hmm. what Muya does is highly distributed. So we have these vehicles, we have the customer apps, we have a lot of components, we have the, all the optimizations in the backend. And actually, the, the easy part is the happy pass. Uh, so if all systems are connected all the time, it's, it's already tough to do all these optimizations and plan shifts and plan trips between the vehicles. But the reality is quite different. So uh, mobile networks are unreliable and yeah. there's a lot of things going on. And that's one of our main challenges also, like how can we tackle this? How can we be prepared for different kind of outages and still provide excellent customer service. 
Yeah, it's something that I just feel that people really underestimate how complex these things are when literally they just open the app and it crashes and they go, stupid Moya. And it's like a million things could have gone wrong here, okay? We're trying to figure it out. So I'm completely empathetic with regards to that in that world. And I'd love to talk to you, Sasha, about specifically around the, the products approach with regards to mobility moving forward. I'd love to kind of hear maybe from both of you as well, how do you see the future of mobility and what are some of the strategies that are kind of being executed now or maybe in the future that you are trying to push within Moya with regards to your product strategy overall to kind of, I hate the word future-proof, but prepping for the future (laughs) so you are not made redundant, let's say. Yeah. So first of all, um, what we hope for is that we have a real colorful environment when it comes to mobility. So there is not Mm. one solution that that fits everyone and to every travel need that you have. We really want to have a broad ecosystem of various options. So starting from, from bikes to scooters, car sharing, but also ride sharing, ride pooling like we do it, but everything based on this fundament of a, of a strong public transport, which to me equals mass transit. So a lot of mm. people in, in vehicles moving fast on a day-to-day basis. And we hope that this colorful transformation is, is going to happen and it, it overtakes the still remaining predominance of, of cars in the city. Because what we know is that that space is limited in the cities and we, we came to the to the stage where we have to take critical decisions in the society, which paths we want to go. Do we want to foster cycling or do we want to go all in and build bigger streets, which we learned is not sustainable at all, but (laughs) still it's a way to go? Or do we want to go all in and invest heavily into increasing public transport capacity? And and there are a lot of questions that society needs to ask themselves. And we hope that, that with offering a lot of different modes that people can use that for the individual it gets easier to adopt to to all the different possible ways of of getting through a city yeah i love that answer and i think it'll take a bit of a balancing act right now to kind of figure out what it is because i mean what last year was the the scooter surge which kicked up and then it was before that it was the uber competitors and then now the ride sharing thing so i think that i love that answer in the terms of I think the market will kind of balance itself out. We'll figure out what is the the right push and pull things we can do with regards to the products that we need and then hopefully have a ecosystem that works Absolutely. for us in the future. And it will yeah. take time. That's that's yeah. very important. So it's it's not a life-changing moment that you say, oh, now I'm using pooling for the first time and now I'm going to sell my car. That's not going to happen because no. traffic patterns, they are... Most of the time, they are just routines in your head that repeat and repeat, and you don't question yourself, oh, am I going to take this or that mobility option that I have, mm. which is the most economical versus comfort and, and all that. That's also the reason why those uh, aggregator apps are having a hard time, because they only for a small minority of people who are really interested in the topic but the broad public, they they really need time to adopt and get used to the different modes before they make a major shift on a day-to-day basis. I'm wondering if you know, and if so, would like to share how you think this whole scene is developing outside of Germany or maybe even outside of Europe. So 
there are more traditions of carpooling, like within a company, for instance, in some countries than there are in others. And is expansion into other international spheres something that you're looking at? Yeah, well, what we try is to concentrate on what we're doing right now. So we have a huge fleet in Hamburg and we have a lot of different learnings ahead of us that needs to be incorporated into to our product. And so we really stick to get it done in one place with that fleet and get ready to scale in Europe. That's our perception of, of where we are right now. Speaking about the overall market, what we see is that the U.S. is, is hugely dominating, dominated by ride-sharing services, to, uh, TNCs like they're called over there. So it's Uber and Lyft. Uh, speaking frankly, mm -hmm. the rest is, is just, not, just not existent. And this phenomenon, that's based on, on capital that they have. So they buy the market share. They are not profitable. We know all their losses. So a sustainable business model has not yet shown, and everyone is working under the assumption that once autonomous vehicles are going to solve that issue and then we will see the disruption in the hockey stick. Europe is a different cake in that situation because here we have a lot of regulation prohibiting to just come into the market and say do the land grab and scale all out. Here we need collaboration with the cities and I think that's, that's a very good situation that we are in, that cities and societies need to deliberately decide whether they like something and they want something instead of just being overrun by low prices. And so we, we hope that with what we are doing at Moya, we can provide a perspective to cities that they can consider when taking that decision. So... Having said that, I following the discussion about data sharing within cities, especially when it comes to mobility services, which is something that's really gaining traction in Germany and the developments on the smart city front in Hamburg, but also in Berlin, etc. Are you ready and willing to share your data? So, of course, not the personal data of your customers, but the aggregated data with those German cities that you're operating in? Yes, uh, we are. And we, we do that with the city of Hamburg already because that's part of our concession. And that's what we offered when we start to collaborate with the city, that we don't just want to be here and offer something. We want to prove that it's actually a good thing. That's why we also have contemporary science or research project with the Karlsruhe Institute for Technology and the University of Munich going on to research whether the what is the traffic and traffic behavior impact of Moya in Hamburg. And we absolutely believe in an open ecosystem. That's why we created from day one an open API where others can integrate into Moya. They can fully book a Moya without handing over customer data to us. And that's what we are doing with the Hamburg Transport Authority. It's a Hamburger Hochbahn and they have a, an app called Switch and there you can book a Moya completely. And for us, the customer is not known because we, we don't really want to know. For us, it's a rider and that's it. And this is the future that we want to see, that we have open ecosystem where all the different providers can integrate what they want and they also provide um, the, the data on a fair use policy level. Mm, I think this is really exciting to hear and Hamburg is definitely leading the way when it comes to e-mobility but also data governance concepts in that direction which kind of brings me back to my question from earlier because shouldn't we on a regulatory basis? I know neither of you are policy makers but shouldn't we be favoring platforms such as yours or solutions such as yours that are willing to share that data rather than others who are not and exploiting that data for their company gains only? 
yeah, I hope <laughs> that regulators decide for, for that way and that we find a, a European solution that creates a market that is worthwhile working in on the one side, so it's economically viable, and on the other side, it, it really proves that it provides benefit for the city. And I think if we think about mobility and the scare resources, speaking of space in the city, and then we, then we should definitely go that route and be, be open. Yeah, I think there's so much interesting things happening in that direction, both on a municipal level, but also when we're looking at the European cloud infrastructure, Gaia-X, and how companies and public sector stakeholders might be able to really define and design that together, like what kind of data sharing, and especially like you mentioned earlier, interoperability we want to have between different services. So it'll be exciting to watch that space next year. And is there anything particularly we should be looking out for from Moya in the next year? Anything news or updates or foreshadowing you want to share with us? Yeah, I think one of the great advancements is just right at our doorstep. We're going to release it this week. And we invested heavily into the core of our system, so our pooling algorithms. And what we did is to do an amazing overhaul of this core. So we we're very confident that we will create a much better experience for customer when we speak about the core service quality, like waiting times, also, punctuality is always an issue that you have to tackle. And also the emotional factors of experiencing detours during a ride if there's a pooling situation. And we invested a lot of time, more than one year, with uh, almost our whole development team to switch to a new algorithm and a complete way of processing the whole fleet status for each and every decision that we take in our fleet. And to our knowledge, for such a huge fleet directly controlled in one city by one, one party, that's the first time in the industry that someone attempted to go that far in terms of fleet control and dynamic behavior. So we are really excited whether everything works and uh, whether customers will like it. Excellent. Thank you so much, Sasha. So there's lots to look out for and it was definitely really exciting to hear it from the two of you. And I personally think that um, the emotional factor of experiencing detours is a great subtitle for the whole of 2020. So thank you very much <laughs> for that. Uh, it was great to have you both on the show. Brad, what's coming up next? Yeah, thank you both again. Thank you for being on the show. We're going to be kicking it off back into the e-commerce field. So we're very excited to be going to that in the coming weeks. But if you love this podcast, make sure to follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, see us on Spotify, Apple Music, every single place is out there. And I want to thank Sasha and Ralph once again for being with us on the show and tune in to Rewrite Tech next time. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot.